Welcome back to another episode of the Dynasty Digest. We give you a consumable Dynasty perspective. I am Skylar, your host as always. I'm here with our good friend, creator at JWB, Nate at NathanGN. We're going to be talking through some of the quarterbacks for Dynasty football this upcoming offseason. We're going to talk a little bit about their values, where we see them, and the tiers we have that could hopefully help in your upcoming startup drafts. But before we get into it, I'm going to roll that intro. He has the hearts of a lot of fantasy players. I like it a lot, honestly. I like I'm I'm in for death taxes and the 2022 wide receiver class. I like what you were saying, Skylar. No, no player is completely untouchable. I think you guys really. I had not. I have not really heard this yet. I listen to a lot of pods, and I have not heard this yet. Well done, gentlemen. I'm really impressed. All right, guys, welcome. We're going to be talking through a couple of these quarterbacks. Uh, I think. We can skip right over the first two. I think both Nate and I have Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in a clear tier above the rest. Uh, these are two of the only players in Dynasty Fantasy Football that you can realistically ask for greater than three firsts. Uh, would you agree with that, Nate? Yeah. Yeah, I think they're clear tier above, um, both in current situation, you know, longevity, clear face of the franchise situations. Uh, clear talent level in my opinion above all the rest as well like everything lines up perfectly for these guys uh, that's why they're a clear tier above for me yeah as well as their contracts these guys are set for generations of wealth uh, but i think it starts to get a little more subjective for people once we move into this next tier which are guys that realistically are between that two to three firsts of value range. Uh, I'm going to start with Jalen Hurts as a name to bring up. I think both of us have Jalen Hurts as our quarterback three here for Dynasty, which is a big climbing. I think he proved a lot of people wrong this year. He cemented himself as the future of this franchise. Uh, I would expect him to get paid once that opportunity comes up. Potentially, that's the only thing holding him back here. Uh, Nate, what are your thoughts on Jalen Hurts versus the Jalen Hurts over the rest of this group of guys? Yeah, uh, just kind of in general, when I like think about these tiers and I think about like kind of the packages that I'd be willing to move them for and, and that kind of thing, uh, that's why I end up grouping these guys together. I don't you know, necessarily, because I have Jalen Hurts QB3, that doesn't mean I see him as, you know, all that different from my QB7 being Justin Herbert right now. So I, I don't have a huge difference between... Um, Hurts to Herbert, and if you had Jalen Hurts as your QB7 and Justin Herbert as your QB3, I wouldn't be, like, super mad about it. I'm not going to start a big online argument with you about it. Um, that wouldn't offend me in any way. Um, so these tiers are really meant to, you know, for me at least, just kind of show these guys are more or less on a level playing field. Yes, I have a, an order that I'll rank them in uh, just for myself personally and kind of preference if I'm on the clock and I have to take one of these guys, this is the order I'm going to take them in, that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of how I'm conceptualizing it. Hertz gets to the top of the tier for me because of the obvious rushing upside. Um, that's something that's not going to go away anytime soon for someone like Hertz. And then you have the situation in Philadelphia where uh, you have the weapons, you have the coach who clearly wants him to run, uh, is going to use him in the red zone to score touchdowns on the ground. Um, so basically you have situation and talent lining up perfectly for Hertz, and then um, that kind of moves him above the rest of this tier for me currently, and that's why he ends up at QB3. Yeah. <clears throat> now, a guy, I'll just name the rest of the tier. Honestly, for me, I can't really argue right after we have Joe Burrow. Um, 
and then we both have Deshaun Watson kind of sliding next. The last two names in that tier for you are Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert. Um, I kind of have this broken up into slightly different. We're just purely off what I know other people's perception of what they're willing to pay for these quarterbacks are. I do have J- um, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, and Joe Burrow kind of in a little like 2A versus 2B to the Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence kind of right mm-hmm. behind him. But I think I want to start here with Deshaun Watson because this is a quarterback that I think a lot of people uh, would be surprised to see us have right around that quarterback, like five, six, because in all of these mock drafts that we're doing that you can find in our Discord in the description, the Deshaun Watson side of the early second routinely. I, I rarely see this guy go in the first round. If he does, it's kind of in the back end of the first. And in my opinion, this is a clear, um, this is a clear inefficiency in the market. And if I was sitting at like 105, 106, and my options were like Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert. I'm, I'm looking to trade back to anywhere from 110 to 202, and um, if I can pick up either a sixth round, a fifth or a sixth round pick to make that move back, you know, from mid early first to the the one two turn, or pick up a 24 or 25 first in the process, I think it's a slam dunk because you're you're picking up Deshaun Watson, who we have tiered with these guys. Um, and you're just getting that that extra money kind of right on top. Uh, Nate, can you kind of lean into why maybe people have Deshaun Watson a good bit behind these guys? Yeah, I think it's really just because he came back after, you know, what was it, two years off, basically. Um, don't need to delve into all the reasons why again, but obviously when you come back after that much time away from the game, I, I was expecting him not to be good. I'd didn't start him for fantasy pretty much anywhere I had him um, in my dynasty leagues uh, until the basically the last week uh, when I was starting to seem like he was figuring a few things out and would at least be an acceptable level of fantasy production. But I've seen like stuff online about how you know he couldn't even really practice with the team. He couldn't even really get into the playbook. Um, it was really like coming into a brand new situation right in the middle of the season when the whole team's been at it for um, three quarters of the season at that point. So it was a pretty difficult situation that he was thrown into. Whenever Deshaun Watson's actually played a full season, and he's played in some pretty bad situations in Houston, right? But whenever he's played, he's been right around this range um, year in and year out. I think in terms of, yeah, like actual talent, Deshaun Watson is probably like a top three or four quarterback in the league uh, in pure talent. And so for me to have him at QB5, I think you said you have him QB6, somewhere in this range, uh, to me it makes a lot of sense. I just, uh, I'm just i just in the middle of a startup right now. Uh, we're getting into the 20th round or so now. But uh, I took Deshaun Watson at 111. Uh, I took him ahead of Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott. Um, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields went right in front of him, and that was fine for me. I was okay to sit back at the 111 and take um, Deshaun Watson there because, yeah, I think with another year under his belt and a full offseason, I pretty much assume, like, Cleveland has invested everything into this guy, right? He's now the face of the franchise for better or for worse, and it's going to shock me if they don't go out and try to acquire another wide receiver, whether through the draft or through free agency. It's not just going to be Amari Cooper trying to single-handedly carry that load. They're going to add somebody there. So I do think that Deshaun Watson is going to have a much better situation and much better results next year. Yeah. I mean, this is 
<clears throat> this is a guy. I think it mainly just comes down to, as you said, he hasn't played football in two years. When he came back, he didn't look particularly great, but he wasn't practicing with the team. He was. You should have expected that, Russ. And this is still a guy who's 27 years old, and we don't have football for eight months. Every time he's been out, he's finished his quarterback five or better on a points per game type of basis, and you get a full off season to integrate. I think you're getting an absolute steal coming around that one two turn when you take Deshaun Watson. Uh, he's a guy. I would like to come out of any startup that I do this offseason with. But I think we'll move right into the next guy we had in that tier, uh, not to gloss over Joe Burrow, but let, let's talk about Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Herbert. Because I think having Trevor Lawrence right next to Justin Herbert might surprise a lot of people. You know, Herbert was put up kind of on a pedestal after last season, announced as the core rack three in a lot of these startup drafts. And I know he had a disappointing season, but he's young. Um, we were debating Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert over the last two years, now we've moved back where Trevor Lawrence is in that conversation. What about Trevor Lawrence in particular has impressed you, Nate? And why has he jumped up into this range right next to a Justin Herbert? Yeah, there's a few things, right? Like, uh, obviously you have the pedigree there where everyone's been talking about Trevor Lawrence for as long as we can remember uh, about the next can't-miss quarterback prospect. And we had to wait a year. We had to wait through all of the Urban Meyer uh, goodness that we had last year. But we finally got it. And they're just intent on setting Trevor Lawrence loose uh, in Jacksonville. Everything is about Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. They're going to put players around him in order for him to succeed. And really, you started to see it this year where all that started to come together for him. And like, no disrespect to Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and Marvin Jones, like, they're, these guys are legitimate wide receivers in the NFL. They're good players, but they're not great players. He doesn't have an elite option anywhere. And Trevor Lawrence, what he did in the back half of the year was really remarkable, in my opinion, um, just given the surroundings that he had. I looked like, honestly, like a seasoned veteran out there. It'll be really interesting uh, to see uh, what he's able to do uh, over the offseason, if there's another step for him to be taking into next season. Like, that's the really exciting thing about Lawrence, right? Is that there might be something here that we haven't even seen yet. Um, there were there were some games where he got flashes of him um, turning loose and letting the legs go a little bit and getting some rushing yards on top of everything. That's something that you don't consistently get out of a guy like Herbert. Uh, so if that becomes more of a piece of his game, you see a little bit of a potential for him to grow a little bit for fantasy in that realm as well. So for all those reasons, uh, I kind of think that Trevor Lawrence might actually have a higher ceiling than Justin Herbert um, in his current situation. And like I said, uh, I'm not going to quibble if anyone wants to argue, but currently I have Trevor Lawrence one spot ahead of Justin Herbert, and that's why. Yeah, I, that rookie year with Meyer ruined the perception of so many people when it came to a guy like Trevor Lawrence. This was the most anticipated player for you know, a decade for around at least a decade, you know, since Andrew Luck is the last name I can remember where there was just this much hype coming out of the guy out of college. Uh, Mr. Clemson, uh, you know, the undisputed 101 in his rookie class where it was one of the strongest rookie class in years. Maybe that's why also people are um, a little slow to adjust on Trevor Lawrence. But when you want to talk about year two jumps for, for quarterbacks and exactly what you want to see, Trevor Lawrence did everything that you would want to see. Um, yeah. 
I know year one had a lot of ups and downs, but look at how messed of a team that was. And at the end of the day, he was still a rookie quarterback. So taking this leap in year two, taking a team from the number one pick, they're in the playoffs. You know, they went out and made a move at deadline to bring in a guy like Calvin Ridley to look ahead for next season. It just shows you the type of moves they're trying to make to support Trevor Lawrence. Everyone was criticizing the, the moves that they made in the offseason, us included, with paying Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, uh, Evan Ingram, a lot of money between those three guys. But all three guys came out performed and they obviously want to emphasize weapons for Trevor Lawrence and they're completely dedicated to the situation now with Justin Herbert we don't exactly know what the coaching situation is going to be he might be coming into a year where he has a completely new scheme he's working with new guys um Mike Williams you know is never really that dependable Keenan Allen is a year older uh, Austin Eckler is a year older. So I think there are there is a little more uncertainty with the Chargers than we talk about, you know, because of how we yeah. view Justin Herbert in his first two seasons versus Trevor Lawrence in his first two seasons. So I think you can completely make the argument for one or the other if you want to go. Either way, I think you can completely argue it. But I would agree with you that Trevor Lawrence is in that exact same tier with Justin Herbert, and he offers you that little bit of rushing that a guy like Dak Prescott kind of does that bumps him over a couple guys where he can sneak into the end zone. Even if he's not going to give you 20, 30 yards a game, he can always sneak in for a, you know, red zone rushing touchdown. Trevor Lawrence, he's loved to do it in college. He's, he showed this year. He likes to do it as well. So I would completely agree that Trevor Lawrence is a guy I'm comfortable taking as early as kind of one Oh seven, I think is where I've taken him in a few, few of our mocks and, I, I dig the result of my draft. So if, if you, again, if you can get to the back half of your turn this year and you end up with Trevor Lawrence, like 109, 110, and then you take Deshaun Watson at 203 or Kyler Murray, who we'll get to in a little bit, at 203, I think you're coming out very, very strong next year. These are guys that we have valued right at two firsts. Uh, I think both Nate and I are in locks up in this group of players uh, in – no specific order, because again, we're talking tiers here. We're talking Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, Kyler Murray, and Dak Prescott. Now, Nate and I were talking before this. There's a very clear gap here for us after these quarterbacks. These top 11, you could argue, should and could be the first 11 quarter, the first 11 players taken in your startup. Maybe Justin Jefferson squeezes in there, but... Mm-hmm. If I'm going chalk, I think 11, all 11 of these quarterbacks are first-round startup-type guys. Uh, let's start with that Kyler Murray versus you know, Lamar or Justin Fields, if you want to comment on where you view Kyler versus those two. Yeah, yeah, Kyler, obviously with the injury, uh, it, it kind of throws things into a little bit of a question um, as to when you're going to have him next year. Um what it's going to look like when he comes back. Obviously, you're going to have a new coaching situation, so how is he going to mesh with that? You hope it's going to be better, but we've seen these things go sideways as well. Uh, There's a lot of unknowns with Kyler Murray. Um, So that's kind of, for me, at least, why he would fall out of the tier above and why he gets into this tier. Um, When he's been healthy and he's been at the top of his game and had all his full complement of weapons, he's absolutely been... Um, like he's there's been stretches like eight game stretches of the season where he's been the QB one in fantasy and so that's definitely within his range of outcomes he's a high upside type player but there are a lot of unknowns right now Uh, so if you're doing a startup you know right now in January then that's kind of the reason why you'd have Kyler Murray a little bit back of the guys that we've mentioned before 
And then a lot of that uh, kind of parlays into the other guys. These are guys that you can just you can poke a few more holes in in Lamar Jackson and Justin Fields and Dak Prescott, in my opinion, than you can the guys above them. Um, Justin Fields uh, obviously showed us a ton with his legs, but he didn't really have the situation where you could truly you know grade him as a passer, in my opinion. Um, some people will outright say he was a bad passer. Uh, some will say, well, he didn't have any weapons, so he was actually pretty good for what he had. I'm, I would fall somewhere in the middle uh, where, you know, I want to see it when he has the weapons. If he can't do it when he has the weapons, then that's a problem. But they're going to get him the weapons. I'm pretty sure about that. Um, what he showed this year was he was capable of basically single-handedly dragging a really putrid Chicago team to within a score or two of some pretty solid teams. So, um he really showed a lot, in my opinion, at least from a leadership perspective, um, which should, in my opinion, again, um, kind of cement him as their quarterback and uh, cornerstone to move forward with. Um, so that's why Justin Fields moves into this range. And then Lamar, Lamar Jackson has struggled a little bit with injury. He's struggled a little bit with being consistent, uh, in my opinion. He's had huge boom weeks, but also some weeks where it just seems like he doesn't show up. Um, so for me, that kind of inconsistency is why he falls out of the tier above and into this tier. And then Dak Prescott is just a guy who doesn't have that same rushing upside as the three guys ahead of him in this tier. Uh, obviously, you like the situation in Dallas. It's a long-standing situation. He's got CeeDee Lamb, who emerged this year as a true top-tier target, in my opinion. Um, and they're going to always surround him with weapons. Tony Pollard emerging this year is a really good option for them out of the backfield. I think that Dak Prescott is probably the safe, might even be the safest option from this tier, but he doesn't have the highest upside from this tier. So he kind of fits in this, but he's kind of the oddball of this tier. So um, that's kind of how I view this tier and why they all uh, group together for me. Yeah. Um, with Lamar Jackson and Justin Fields, I, I'd really just view these as the same asset. I think, yeah. you know, Lamar, Lamar, what Lamar Jackson has in a couple of years over Justin Fields, a couple more tackles on to his legs. I view as he's also had a couple more seasons where we've seen proven success, you know, so with, yep. with a Lamar Jackson, that proven production puts him, you know, for me, one spot above Justin Fields with Justin Fields, you, you can dream. And I certainly think the situation could get better, but you will have, I think a little bit ebbs and flows with the ceiling is as high as potentially any quarterback in the NFL. And your lows are still pretty darn safe as maybe a middling quarterback two on a week to week type basis. So Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields for me are great, great assets. The difference between Justin Fields to like Lamar and Kyler for me of this group is everyone is really excited with 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 Justin Fields at the moment. You know, this is the rose tinted glass. Everyone saw what he did this year. He was the quarterback one for about a six week stretch. Uh, I think everyone's kind of buying into that with the under the assumption that Chicago will get things right. They'll bring in options to support him, that they're all in on Justin Fields and that might sound great, but there is no guarantee that all this stuff does come together. So if you can look and turn Justin Fields into one of these other guys and get a good plus on top of it, I think that's a very smart kind of move. Uh, I love Kyler Murray. If Kyler Murray wasn't so brittle and if his situation wasn't a little more murky, he for me is solidly next to the Joe Burrow to Sean Watson. I mean, when he is out there again, he's top five in points per game on a weekly basis. He's just excellent at putting up fantasy points, but there are situational question marks and health concerns with Kyle Murray. And I don't think those are going to go away at any time in his career. So 
for me, that's I would agree that Kyler is a step back just on that point. But if I can move off of a Justin Fields and get a Kyler Murray plus a little bonus value, I'd be very, very interested in buying into that league-wide kind of yeah. optimism. And the last comment I make on a Dak Prescott before we get into the guys that have a lot more talking points is that Dak Prescott is kind of just like a he's just a premium Kirk Cousins for me. You're getting a guy that offers a lot of the same stuff, but he's in an offense that's historically very dominant. Uh, his weapons are locked in for at least one more season, so you get that. And he's younger. It's Kirk Cousins, but you're resetting the clock. I think his ceiling is kind of a mid to low quarterback one, but his floor is a high quarterback too. And I would expect him to have a job in the NFL for a very long time, even if Dallas were to get annoyed with Dak Prescott and not think he's enough. We see guys like Kirk Cousins, um, you know, get a role in the NFL with another team because other teams are going to see that he offers sustained success. Uh, elite game manager type skills and he will have opportunities. So I think Dak Prescott is just a very, very safe asset. He's just not nearly as flashy as any of the other 11. And people are usually willing, not as willing to pay up for Dak Prescott as they are 11, which is why for me, he is the last guy of this top group. Um, But we're going to transition now because this is where it really gets interesting. Uh, I think we both have the same quarterback 12, but I would, we both agree. This is a guy we're not even really, interested in on the risk until round maybe four five of the startup and he'll never be there in almost any league because somebody's going to be excited and this is we'll start two guys actually following us but the first name we'll bring up is Tua Tagovailoa this is in a tier with Trey Lance and Kirk Cousins that's the only thing we have these are guys that are worth a first how much more than a first is really debatable uh, but I think they're all worth at least a first for what they do offer. Let's start with Tua Tagovailoa. Nate, what do you think uh, the odds that Tua is still playing football next year? And uh, maybe give a comment to if you're buying into that for maybe a potential dip or if you're just completely staying away. Yeah, that's the that's the big question, right? Um, that for me is why he can't really ascend to kind of that DAC level um, because – Honestly, you could draw a lot of similarities between him and Dak in terms of the team context being really good. You feel solidified that uh, what he did this year is probably enough to keep him in the conversation in Miami for the at least midterm future. As long as Mike McDaniel's there, you would expect that Tua would be able to be there and to run that offense based on what we saw this year. Uh, So really, it's about the health concerns with Tua and why he drops into this tier. And yeah, honestly, your guess is as good as mine. I have, uh, I I basically don't want to be in on Tua. I'm where I have him. I'm holding him, um, but unless he really drops into yeah into the like the fifth round or something, and everyone's that gun shy, then the upside starts to become worth it. Um, where you feel like okay, maybe I'm getting a back end QB one here in the fifth round, and that's something I can't pass up, even if. Even if it goes sour and he retires tomorrow, then, you know, it's a fifth round pick. It's not the greatest thing, but it's not the end of the world either. So, um, but that's kind of where I'm at with Tua. And it's a similar story with Trey Lance um, in terms of the risk, right? Um, You see how easily Kyle Shanahan goes through different quarterbacks and makes them work in his offense. Maybe you could say the the same thing is happening with Tua in Miami um, with the Mike McDaniel show there, but Trey Lance has all the upside in the world, we know, with the rushing, um, but he's never been on the field long enough for us to really see any sort of sustained ability to pass the ball. And 
you you just have to wonder because we haven't seen it what the what the leash would look like with Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan has shown time and time again that he's not one who really cares about your draft capital or um, what he's invested in you uh, in, in those terms. He's really just about getting the W however he can get it. And he's been pretty successful with it, and I'd anticipate him to, to stick with that. So Trey Lance, all the upside in the world. Like, we could be talking about Trey Lance this time next year as the QB1 in fantasy. Like, that's within the range of outcomes. It's a pretty extreme outcome, but it's within the range of outcomes. Uh, or we could be talking about him as a guy who's going to be a backup and um, he's more like what we're talking about with Malik Willis right now. Like those are some pretty extreme outcomes for a guy um, that you're going to have to take. Like I just did a startup, uh, as I mentioned, he went in the middle of the third round and that's just a price I'm not willing to pay. Uh, the upside is there that he could vault into the first <coughs> round, um, but there's plenty of players in the third round that I'm willing to take who are much more guaranteed to provide me something in the upcoming year and have some of that upside too where they could even move higher. So uh, Trey Lance falls into this tier for me. And then Kirk Cousins, I think everybody knows what Kirk Cousins is at this point. Uh, he's a steady, reliable veteran. He's going to be a back-end QB1 uh, or a top-end QB2 year, year in and year out. The situation in Minnesota, Justin Jefferson, TJ Hawkinson, uh, Adam Thielen seems to be fading, but KJ Osborne has shown some flashes this year. You just feel like this is a situation where Kirk Cousins should be able to thrive for as many years as he physically can do it. So, um, yeah, Cousins kind of fits into this tier for me as the safe option uh, amidst two very unstable and, and variable options. Yeah, and we're talking a tier here. Tua and Trey are going round two, round three, and you're sort of routinely. Kirk Cousins kind of falls anywhere between rounds kind of four through seven, depending on how uh, aggressive people in your league are on quarterback. And there shouldn't be the gap between those guys. I don't think Tua yeah. and Trey should be going round three, four, and I don't think Kirk Cousins should be going round seven. I think all three of these guys kind of fall into that round five, six type price. And I'm cool. And of that group, I'd rather just take Kirk Cousins two rounds later. The security you have with this guy is it's as good as we were talking with Dak Prescott. He's just 34 years old. And that's the main difference. And I would agree Tua was kind of entering that territory where we viewed him as like the next Dak Prescott or Kirk Cousins, uh, which is extremely valuable for fantasy, you know, at cost. But I, I just can't do it. I can't buy in on the risk. I mean, same with Trey Lance. It's too, there's too many, uh, too wide a range of outcomes for me. When we're talking round three of, of your startup and you're taking one of these guys, if Trey Lance doesn't have a job, you're recouping next to nothing for this guy, right? If, if mm. Kirk Cousins isn't that great, you're still getting probably close to a first for him in the next year or two if you sell correctly. You don't have that guarantee with Trey Lance or Tua Tagovailoa. And with yeah. these two guys, it's all about opportunity cost. When you're taking Kirk Cousins in your draft, you're taking him in a range where people are starting to draft Damian Pierce, Brandon Ayuk, um, Terry McLaurin, Alvin Kamara, these types of names where if you were to lose out on them, it's 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 marginal. I mean, you can make up for it if you're savvy in other areas. It's not the end of the world. These guys aren't cornerstone-type assets. But when you're moving over guys like Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, T. Higgins, you know, Tyreek Hill, uh, Saquon Barkley, Amon Ross St. Brown, Garrett Wilson, C.D. Lamb to take Tua Tagovailoa and Trey Lance. Now you are talking pieces that are core to the identity of your team, and that's just not a risk that I'm willing to buy in on. 
we shift down. Now, this is a very interesting group of quarterbacks for me. I, I agree with Nate's tier here. He has Jared Goff, Geno Smith, Daniel Jones, Derek Carr, and Russell Wilson, kind of in a group of quarterbacks who are around that fringe first type of value standalone. Um, I'm going to start with a name from this year. I'm going to bring up Geno Smith is a guy we can talk about here, Nate, and talk about why you like Geno Smith and have him kind of here around that quarterback. Who's that? 16, 16, 17 type range, so middle and quarterback too. What is it that you like about Geno Smith and his situation moving forward? Yeah, it was just when I looked at the numbers with Geno Smith, like everything is really good. <laughs> like you have the completion percentage, um, completion percentage over expected. Uh, EPA per drop back. All the numbers with Geno Smith look really solid. It doesn't look like any of this was a fluke. It's not like he just had a really extreme TD percentage on the year and that was it. Um, he threw for a bunch of yards. He basically kept uh, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf both as like no drop off from Russell Wilson, um, which was not something anyone was expecting, I don't think, at least to this extent. And so I really think what Geno Smith showed us this year is he can be like, it would be one thing if he had like one really good stretch through the year and then kind of completely tailed off, you know, uh, but Geno Smith was able to keep this going over the full year. Um, yeah, it is ups and downs as, as every quarterback does. But uh, for the most part, Geno Smith was a very consistent quarterback throughout the year. Um, in terms of his actual level of play, I have, no doubt in my mind that he's somewhere in this range in terms of NFL quarterback talent. Um, I really think that the NFL is in a spot where there's a lot of uh, quarterbacks that are uh, of questionable talent. We could see a lot more rotation. I heard somewhere, I forget which, which podcast it was on now, but someone said that uh, we saw more quarterbacks used this year than any other year for the past decade or something like that. Um, so in a context like that, a guy like Geno Smith who... Um, has touchdown upside. He's going to have uh, pretty much the same situation to run it back next year. Um, maybe Kenneth Walker even takes another step uh, next year and becomes a more consistent uh, option from right from the start. Maybe he unlocks some receiving upside and uh, Geno Smith can benefit from that as well. Uh, overall, I just think that Geno Smith feels like a really safe mid QB two. And um, <laughs> here we are in 2023 saying that Geno Smith is a safe QB two, but uh, that's kind of what it feels like. And yeah, I kind of feel like this is the price to pay. Uh, one first, maybe a little incentive on top you might have to add to actually pry him away from someone. Uh, but that's kind of the, the going price for a mid QB2 if that's kind of like the last piece for your roster. Yeah, I can't really disagree with a lot of that. It's just so hard for me personally to go and spend my first round pick on a 34-year-old breakout type quarterback. I would agree that everything looked great for Geno Smith this season. He sustained it throughout the year, and it is what I would expect to be a relatively safe situation. Even if for some reason they brought in another quarterback to compete with Geno Smith next year, it would be a competition, and Geno Smith would start with that job. It would be his to lose. Um, and even if he were to leave the Seahawks in some fashion in the next year, um, he showed enough where another team's getting him a chance. And Nate said there's there's a lot. There were so many quarterbacks used this year because it is a it is a position in the league right now that is very murky. Once you get past maybe fifteen to twenty guys, and with this rookie class, I mean we're expecting maybe what four to five guys at max, kind of taken in that first round. So I wouldn't expect a huge influx of talent to come in and take up every single job as well. Um, and Seattle, you know, they have a lot of holes to fix, and I don't think quarterback will be 
of the priority. So I do agree that he will more than likely be the starting quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks going into next season. And the season that he had from that standpoint is very repeatable. I know Russell Wilson is a Hall of Fame quarterback, but from Seattle, we have seen this type of production, at least with some bit of a floor uh, every single year. And Pete Carroll, you know, 72 years young, is still going to be the head coach for the Seahawks going into next season. Uh, I think for this entire tier, for me, it just co- really comes down to I don't want to give away my first-round pick for any of these guys. If I can get them on my roster by adding a second to a flex-type player who maybe has a fringe first worth of value, that is where I'm looking to buy in. I just I really don't see significant upside with these guys other than patching a hole. And for me, the first-round picks of mine uh, I see them as my lottery tickets to a roster changing player or my ability to get in on a potential cornerstone asset while they're way below market. So for me, that's what I'm looking to buy in on these guys, but their startup price for me is very, very, very affordable. Mm-hmm. Another reason you won't catch me taking two or Trey in round three, four is all of these guys slide somewhere between rounds seven and 10. And that's an excellent, excellent price. If you tell me I can get Russell Wilson uh, who finished the year surprisingly sh- Strong from a fantasy perspective and round seven of my super flex startup, I think you're getting it at a great price. I mean, then Hackett obviously wasn't it. And Denver obviously has a lot of question marks that they need to address. Russell Wilson did not look great, but we're talking now, we're not talking top 12 quarterback prices, round one or round two startup price like we were with Russell Wilson a year ago. We're talking round seven. Getting in here is very, very affordable. Um, is he's going to keep his job. They don't have an out in his contract until after 2026. So they're going to be trying their damnedest to make it work with Russell Wilson for at least a couple seasons before they give up or try to get creative with the situation. And Russell Wilson's going to at worst give you quarterback two numbers. I know it's not very uh, inspiring, but there is a world where he gives you more than that as much as any guy in this group can. So for me, Russell Wilson in rounds seven, you're getting a back end quarterback two is an absolutely magnificent price. Um, Two guys I want to touch on there, Daniel Jones and Derek Carr. These are the two guys without jobs. So there's no guarantee necessarily where they're going to be next year. Uh, Nate, do you have an opinion on Daniel Jones and Derek Carr if or where they will be starting football next year? Yeah, I think Daniel Jones is going back. Um, I've seen some stuff about how they've been talking to him a little bit already about uh, coming back. I think that's going to be the move. I just think, you know, the Giants aren't in a position to really to draft someone this year. Uh, obviously, with the team doing so well, they're not in the top, um, you know, five picks or whatever it usually takes to get the quarterback you need if you're trying to build around a brand new quarterback out of the draft. So I don't anticipate them to draft anyone. Really, the only thing would be if they really targeted someone like uh, Derek Carr out of free agency and that was their move. I don't really see that happening. I think Daniel Jones had a solid year under Brian Dayball. I think Dayball deserves a lot of credit for how solid of a year that Daniel Jones had. Um, But Daniel Jones also didn't have a lot to work with. Like Richie James and Isaiah Hodgins were his main targets uh, down the stretch here. And... Things were okay for Daniel Jones. He won some people some money this year in fantasy uh, with some of his performances. So um, I think that really Daniel Jones in the end is going to end up back in New York. I think they're going to work something out. It might not be like a mega long-term deal or anything like that, but I think he's going to come back for a couple years at least. And that'll be the move there for the Giants. And then Derek Carr, uh, lots of places that have been rumored for him to go. I've seen, you know, the Jets is one that's come up. Um 
I've seen lots of people talking about, um, yeah, just situations all over the league where Derek Carr would be a, an instant upgrade over what they've been what they've been rolling with uh, to date. So, I really think Derek Carr is going to have a lot of options um, and go to a pretty good spot this offseason. and that's why for me he stays in this tier even with all that uncertainty. Yeah, the Derek Carr situation is very interesting. I mean, he made an announcement today. He will not be a Las Vegas Raider moving forward. Uh, he does have a no trade clause in his contract, so he will either pick his spot or he will get cut and pick his spot. So I think for Derek Carr, he's almost guaranteed to be starting football next year. And I've seen him be going somewhere between rounds 8 and 10 in startups routinely. If you can get Derek Carr on your team for a mid-second, early second, and – or round nine of your startup. That's an absolute must for me. Derek Carr's a guy over the years. I've collected so many shares because whenever he dips below a certain point in market, kind of around that quarterback 20, I'm in. It's been the same thing with Kirk Cousins over the years. Derek Carr's a little lesser of a player than a Kirk Cousins for fantasy football. But the point remains the same. He's a stable quarterback too that you don't necessarily have to worry about. Some weeks will be greater than others. But once he is starting football, his job is secure whether it's with his current team or the next uh he's still only i think he'll be 32 or roughly around there going into next season so yeah i think Derek Carr is well worth the investment and as you mentioned with daniel jones uh i'm almost certain he'll be back with the giants next year i i think there maybe are some teams that would sniff daniel jones's way but the issue then is you have to build your complete offense around daniel jones and after one year of just decent football i don't think teams will be willing to do that at a level where they have to pay him more than what the giants will pay him and it's worth it for the giants to build on what they've done this year with lesser options a brand new team scheme uh you bring daniel jones back build on what they had he played excellent this year within the system did just just what Brian Dable asked him to do, not, nothing more, which maybe was good for Daniel Jones, kind of simplifying that offense. And I would expect them to look to bring in a, an option that can fill at minimum what they were hoping Kenny Galladay could have done for this team because Isaiah Hodges on the outside, even though I love the guy, is not a long-term solution. Um, so that's where I land on that. The last guy in this group I just do want to mention with Jared Goff is I would expect him to be starting for the Detroit Lions again next year. You're talking an offense that has top five upside as an offensive unit. Uh, it is being reported that offensive coordinator Ben Johnson is interviewing for potentially head coaching vacancies. Uh, that would be unfortunate. I would love to see him come back be with Jared Goff. But even if Detroit drafts a quarterback, I think it's more than likely he sits a year behind Jared Goff while they – ride out his contract and one year of what I would at worst is middling quarterback to production and likely a contract with, if not the lines, another team following next season. Uh, it's well worth the investment for Jared Goff. I think he's a very good pick kind of in that round seven to 10 of your startup draft. And he's just another reason that I'm not looking even close to Tua or Trey Lance in that round two or round three. So moving past this, we're going to talk. These are quarterbacks that are worth anywhere from an early second, kind of like a middling second. These are your older guys uh, or your young guys who aren't necessarily as established. This is a pretty big tier. It's Aaron Rodgers, Kenny Pickett, Ryan Tannehill, Mac Jones, Jimmy Garoppolo, Matthew Stafford, and Tom Brady. I have this tier exactly the same as Nate. Uh, the order, you can argue any one way or another. Let's start with the two young guys because we have a lot of people ask about these two players from the tier. That's Kenny Pickett and Mac Jones. Mac Jones has been a little less of a conversation than Kenny Pickett, but if you remember a year ago, a lot of the questions we're getting in our Discord for Kenny Pickett are exactly the same as what we were getting a year ago for Mac Jones. So, uh, Nate, you want to touch on how you view those two players as assets, 
kind of an investment level you're interested on and if you view them as uh, safer assets for your team quarterbacks that you can rely and build around. Yeah, so I'll start with Kenny Pickett. Pickett is someone that I was not into in the rookie process. I didn't think he was exceptional in really any facet of the game. Um, Didn't really think that he would have what it takes to be a long-term NFL starting quarterback, um, just from my film review of him. So that was kind of my, my preconception, I guess you'd say, on Kenny Pickett. And he hasn't really done anything this year that's really dispelled that notion for me. Um, you can say what you want about the offense and how terrible it was, but like, I mean, the guy still had Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, um, Pat Fryermuth. He had options out there. There should have been a way, um, if he was really, you know, going to take a big step, then there should have been a way for him to find that with those kind of options around him. Um, so yeah, you could look for something like what Trevor Lawrence has done this year as a big step next year. That's within the range of outcomes. But I don't think I don't think Kenny Pickett's situation this year was nearly as catastrophic as Trevor Lawrence's was last year. Uh, so that's one point. And then I don't think Kenny Pickett as a player is anywhere near the caliber of talent that Trevor Lawrence is. Um, so uh, overall, I'm interested in Pickett if people are kind of cooling on him. He was kind of a um, mid to late first round pick in Superflex rookie drafts last year. Um, so if people are cooling on him and you can get him in this second round range, then I'm okay with that. Uh, usually there's, uh, whoever, whoever, uh, was in on him and, and picked him up at that point is probably still, you know, in on Kenny Pickett enough that you're not going to pry him away for, uh, a second or a second plus, uh, relatively neg- negligible addition. So, um, I'm pretty much resigned to the fact that I'm not going to have Kenny Pickett anywhere and I'm pretty okay with that overall Uh, and this startup that I'm doing Kenny Pickett went 9-8 and Mac Jones went 9-9 so they went back to back and that seems about fair for me Um, I just don't see even in Kenny Pickett's best scenario I'm not sure that there's a huge upside for him as a player Um, and so even if I'm wrong on him and he does turn into an NFL starting quarterback you know maybe he moves up one tier uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of okay to have missed at that point. Um, so that's where Kenny Pickett falls for me. Mac Jones, um, yeah, for a portion of last year, it felt like he might be ascending to a point where we could actually get excited about what he might be. And then this year felt like a little bit of a step back in some ways. And so uh, Mac Jones falls into this tier now. And it's really a situation with the Patriots where, we still don't know what the offense is going to look like next year. Uh, this year it was definitely not a pretty show, and Mac Jones, uh, there's multiple clips of him uh, making his displeasure felt <laughs> with how that offense was going uh, throughout the season. I think Mac Jones is a fine quarterback. I think he's a better quarterback than Kenny Pickett, in my opinion. Um, but the situation there kind of keeps him right in line with Pickett for me as an asset. And it's anybody's guess. Like, I don't think New England is going to move away from Mac Jones anytime soon, but I also think that as long as he's in New England, his ceiling is very capped. So that's kind of where these two guys um, sit together for me here in this tier. Yeah, I think these two guys are very perfect lesson spot for where when I was newer to Dynasty, drafting one of these two guys over where they should be going is the exact kind of mistake I would have done. I looked at them and said, well, there was – 
positive things from Kenny Pickett at the end of his rookie year. I'm going to come in and buy this guy as round five, six of my draft <clears throat> because he's a young quarterback that has first round draft capital, a couple players to be excited about, and he looked good at the end of the season. Uh, why wouldn't I invest in this guy in, in, in Dynasty Fantasy Football? He's a quarterback. He's young. I would have said the same thing about Mac Jones last year. And the problem with that is exactly when Nate was saying where it wasn't good enough, the team was invested good enough, they're not established enough to where you can depend on these guys to be the undisputed quarterback of the future for these franchises. And without that guarantee or any bit of rushing upside necessarily and weaker offenses as is, what's the best you're looking at for them? If they perform well, maybe they jump a tier. You're talking that Derek Carr type of range, which are just not difference makers for your fantasy football team. If you want to buy these guys, you can get in at a second because people have really cooled off. Absolutely go for it. You know, they offer you a nice floor option at a quarterback, too. They are young. There is always a chance they do become that Derek Carr type option, which has value long term for fantasy football. But to go out and spend around four or five on one of these quarterbacks, you are just hemorrhaging value. You're giving up uh, an opportunity cost on guys that could really change your dynasty roster. These guys aren't the assets you think they are. Quarterbacks are not cornerstone assets until they have proven themselves until the team is financially invested in them or their production has just been unreal aspiring the team has had success one of those factors have to come in before i view any quarterback as safe trevor lawrence brought a team from the first round pick to the playoffs and looked good and put up stats while doing it that gets him into cornerstone quarterback um territory where these guys haven't done that i mean both of them brought lesser teams to 500 finishes in their rookie years which is oppressive and commendable but they didn't show you enough from a fantasy perspective or do enough for their teams to give you that kind of secured mindset or that perception of them that i would like before i'm investing heavy in them let your league mates make that mistake i think kenny pickett and mac jones and a lot of more casual drafts so when nate's talking is a lot of people who are tuned into prices year round who have had opinions on these guys they've been playing for a couple seasons now at least and a lot of your leagues or guys is maybe the first second you're going to make that exact mistake that i was bringing up and they're going to draft kenny pickett and mac jones in round five or six and you just have to let those guys the only negative when they do that is potentially it pushes other guys up like the genus with jared goff's um, from round like 10 up to like round seven, because you're going to see a little bit of a panic. So it's the only note I would make on those guys. If they do get overdrafted, let them get overdrafted. But then, no, you might have to be taking your Russell Wilson, Daniel Jones, Derek Carr round seven versus round like eight or nine, just to make sure you don't completely miss out on a tier and then have to end up drafting from the rest of these guys, the Dusty Boys. We're talking Aaron Rodgers, Ryan Tannehill, Jimmy Garoppolo, Matthew Stafford, and Tom Brady. Nate, I think we both agree all of these guys will be starting football games next year for some team. Uh, I don't know if you want to give just a quick little take on what you think from Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. I know, of course, there's talks on Tom could retire. There's talks he could go to Vegas. There's talks he could go to Miami. There's Rodgers talks that his days in Green Bay or done, or maybe he was just celebrating the end of a teammate's campaign in the NFL with Randall Cobb. So let's talk about those two guys before we move on. Yeah, Rodgers and Brady, I think both will be back next year. Uh, I feel fairly confident in that take but I'm not confident beyond next year. So I'm really just viewing these guys as one-year assets. And they both showed this year that those assets might not be the assets they once were, right? Um, you're talking about maybe more back-end QB2 production uh, than uh, both of them have obviously been QB1s uh, for a lot of their fantasy careers. So 
both of these guys kind of fit into this tier for me for that reason, kind of just viewing them as one-year rentals at this point and honestly not a ton of upside uh, that I'm ascribing to them anymore. They're just kind of uh, check the box. I have a QB2 kind of guys at this point. Yeah. Um, another guy people might view similar to that is a guy like Matthew Stafford. Now, I know both you and I have loved Matthew Stafford over certain NFL seasons. Uh, some stretches we were high on him, some we weren't. I think the main difference for me personally, it takes him away from like a Kirk Cousins because they are pretty darn close in age, is just the injury history with Matthew Stafford between his back and elbow. That Those two spots where the injury will make a difference long-term that Kirk Cousins does not have, which could affect longevity. But at the end of the day, if Matthew Stafford comes back next year, which I expect him to do so, and is starting football games, second he's playing out there and playing well, I think you're scraping fringe first worth of value in the trade market for Matthew Stafford because he will be a fine quarterback, too, for someone's team, and he will be desired by someone who needs him. Uh, so I wouldn't be shy of Matthew Stafford for fears of retirement, for fears of, you know, the McVeigh situation or whether or not they're going to be trading Matthew Stafford, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup or McVeigh. So I think if Matthew Stafford falls into a range past round 10, I'm almost auto selecting him just because from a market, there aren't many guys in that range of your draft that you could end up selling for a 25 first in the next season if they become needed. And at that point, I probably already have two to three quarterbacks on my roster. So I kind of view it as if he gets hurt, I'm not completely depending on him and I'll be more willing to trade him when I don't necessarily need him. The last two guys in the state are Ryan Tano and Jimmy Garoppolo. I think both these guys they fall right into what we were saying where there's so much uncertainty in starting positions in the NFL and there's a lack of talent coming in to replace those positions. So I think there's going to be a team that's going to view Ryan Dan Hill or Jimmy Garoppolo as a stopgap, a guy who might come in for at least one season. Uh, it's going to be funny when Ryan Dan Hill takes Marcus Mariota's job again <laughs> next off season. Um, but that's, that's where I view those two guys. I think Jimmy G will definitely have a job. Whatever team misses out on Derek Carr, we'll take a tear down and grab a Jimmy Garoppolo. Would you agree with those two guys? And are you comfortable with them as your quarterback twos rolling into next year? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you nailed it. Basically, there's just not enough uh, quarterbacks to go around for all these jobs. These two guys, uh, to me, represent uh, clear options that are going to start football games for somebody at the beginning of next year. So that's why they stick in this tier, and both have been relatively productive. Obviously, Garoppolo had a great situation in San Francisco, so maybe he takes a step back from that kind of level of production, but even if he does, you're still looking at a back-end QB2. Ryan Tannehill has been up and down throughout Tennessee, uh, his time in Tennessee, but uh, he also hasn't had a lot to work with, quite honestly, uh, throughout his time in Tennessee, so he could actually end up being in a better situation. That wouldn't surprise me either and you could end up getting a pretty solid year out of them next year. Uh, obviously, both again, you're probably not viewing them as anything more than a one-year uh, kind of stopgap QB2 option. That's why they fall into this tier. Yep. Okay, I think from now, we're just talking guys who are fringe second, maybe early third. You don't know if they had jobs. It's a pretty big tier. I'm going to list the tier, and then I'm going to talk through which guys kind of have open contracts, and then I'm going to ask you, which of these guys you'd be most interested in. This is going to be past round 15 of your startup draft. It's kind of where all these guys are slotting. Who is worth the dart? The list we have in this next year is Jameis Winston, Jacoby Brissett, Brock Purdy, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Davis Mills, Mike White, Desmond Ritter, Gardner Minshew, Jarrett Sidham, Zach Wilson, Jordan Love, 
Marcus Mariota. And of those guys, we see, uh, I could also throw maybe to Teddy Bridgewater's kind of fringing where he might end up somewhere. You never know, but he's under, he doesn't have a contract. Jacoby Brissett is open for a contract. Mike White is open for contract uh, to a lesser extent. Taylor Heineke is open for contract. Um, and that's it. For, and Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield don't have contracts. So of those guys who kind of interests you most and what are some, some juicy potential landing spots for those players? Yeah, I think there's some interest here. Obviously, there's not too much juice to squeeze here with these guys uh, being where they're at in our tiers. But um, Sam Darnold, once again, had a good stretch. I think that's kind of maybe what Sam Darnold is, is a guy who he's going to start a stretch of games here or there for the rest of his career. And he's probably going to give us a few stretches where he's actually pretty decent for fantasy. Um, so I'm pretty comfortable rostering Sam Darnold. I don't really expect him to have a starting job next year. Um it's possible, but it's not something I'm expecting. Um, but Sam Darnold is one who might actually, you know, provide you some fantasy value at some point next year. And so that's that's a name I'm willing to take. Um, another one, Jameis Winston, left for the left for dead basically in New Orleans this year, almost inexplicably given what Andy Dalton brought to that team. Um, I think Jameis Winston is probably uh, a better talent than maybe even Ryan Tannehill and Jimmy Garoppolo, who we talked about before. I think he could probably start over those guys for a lot of teams and they'd get better results. I don't know if the NFL views him that way, though, which is kind of the problem um, and why he ends up slotting a tier down. I do like Winston, though, and I do hope that he gets a chance to get out of New Orleans and find a new spot and that someone gives him a chance to start because I do think he has probably the most upside of anybody in this group. Yeah, I will say for Jameis Winston, he handled himself magnificently for this year where a lot of guys would have come out and complained and whined and pouted and taken to social media and uh, complained about the lack of opportunity. He just kind of put his head down. I didn't hear about it. I know he had a couple of people close to his group kind of being vocal about his lack of opportunity, but him specifically just kept it professional, which I, I really do like to see. I think it it bodes well for his his chances of getting an opportunity. I would agree that he's the guy of this group I'm most interested in. I think once he starts he offers he offers you something this is a guy who could be a high-end quarterback too once he's starting in his one game this year where he give you a start he kind of give you a flash of what he can do for a team it's inexplicable to me that new orleans took with andy dalton for the whole season they didn't even have their own first sometimes when they're like well this guy could be better but we might win games we won't be good enough we're not going to go that route they had nothing to play for in terms yeah. of it was chase the wins or try something out and they weren't winning and they didn't try anything else out I don't know what was going on there. Uh, maybe that's just the perception they have there of Winston or that the NFL has of Winston, which would be too bad because I would love to see him get another attempt. The NFL is a better place than Jameis Winston is starting football. Um, I want to bring up two names in this tier, kind of Brock Purdy and Mike White as guys people are a little excited about. And with Brock Purdy, I'll start because of how uh, exciting he's been for the San Francisco, 16, San Francisco 49ers. They haven't lost since he's come in. He's played pretty good football. I mean, he had one or two games. I felt he was 
relatively uninspiring, but he got the job done, limited turnovers. But the rest of the year, I mean, he's been above average in just about every single category for them. His efficiency has been through the roof. His touchdown rate has been through the roof. Completion percentage has been more than serviceable. It's been well above league average, and he's getting the job done. I think there's going to be a lot of people banging the drum for Brock Purdy to come back and have a chance to start football for them. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I wouldn't go spending a second-round pick or reaching above round 15 for Brock Purdy. I've seen him squeeze into that top 15 in a couple drafts or a couple mocks. And I think it's most realistic, the outcome of this, unless they win a Super Bowl with Brock Purdy, is that he's just secured a backup role. I think they will exercise the experiment with Trey Lance, or they'd be moving Trey Lance in a deal to bring in maybe one of these older quarterbacks who they think could put him over the top. And Brock Purdy will be the known, proven backup that they are confident if the quarterback goes down and Brock Purdy comes up, the team's going to get excited and rally behind this guy. And that's a valuable thing to have as a backup quarterback. And, you know, a guy where if they go down, the team's excited. If the starting quarterback goes down for the Jets and you put in Zach Wilson, the team is not excited about it. They're, the fans are booing. You know, the team doesn't they, – they'll, they'll let a guy blitz him and hit him. But guys like Brock Purdy, man, the team's fired up. They, they want to see this guy succeed. They seem to love him there. So I think he's just proven himself to be a great backup. And I view Mike White very similarly. I think Mike White – might get an opportunity to compete for a job, but if they bring in like a Derek Carr, I think Derek Carr wins all that job pretty easily. Mike White is, again, I think he's a very, very solid backup. Uh, he could sign somewhere else. I think he found a little bit of a home in uh, New Jersey there. Uh, so I'd be surprised. Maybe even if Jimmy Garoppolo goes there, I'd expect him to win the job over Mike White. I think Mike White is a guy where if he were to come in with an injury and he stays healthy himself, could sustain the job for a season, give you some weeks with a floor. I do like Mike white. I did. I was hoping he'd get a couple more games to see if maybe he had like a Kirk cousins type ascension from his, uh, once he finally got going with Washington, he was a year three or four player who was around three or four draft pick who kind of took a while to acclimate to the league and pick up the pace. But once he did look fantastic, I think Mike white showed that, but unfortunately didn't get enough game time to really cement himself. And that's gotta be banked in value here. You can't get too excited with these backup quarterbacks. You take an opera. If you reach for these guys, you take an opportunity cost away from real assets for your team. I think the most we're looking at in this group is a guy you can pick up round 15 to 20 or for a third and try to flip for a second in the future. I don't think there's anyone in this range that I view as an actual asset that helps me build a championship roster. Um, yeah. One last name from this group I think we can round out on, Nate, is uh, Jordan Love. Because I think some people view Jordan Love a little bit more than just uh, a backup or a guy that could come in and give a spot star. I think there's some people who still think he might have an opportunity to win over a job. Aaron Rodgers might be out of town. Jordan Love, first round draft capital, might get an opportunity. You know, he'll be up from his contract if they decline the option going into the following season from the next. Uh, so he still will be with the Packers next year. What are your thoughts on Jordan Love? What are you doing if you have him on your roster? Are you interested? Yeah, I think you hold them for now. If someone comes to you and is is interested in buying, then you know that they kind of think that Jordan Love is something, and so you can probably get more than this kind of third-plus tier that we have them in right now. You can probably squeeze for a second or maybe even a little more. Um, so if someone's coming knocking on your door for Jordan Love, by all means, I would be happy to move off of him for anything um, a second or more. Otherwise, you're probably hanging on. Um, and then the second there's any kind of news about Rodgers, um, you know, moving on or 
um, retiring, whatever the case may be, then that's when Jordan Love's value is going to spike, and that's when you probably want to find your exit plan because I don't really think that Jordan Love is someone that you want to be rostering long-term. Uh, he was another one of these guys billed as a really um, toolsy prospect, which is often uh, seems to be scout speak for saying that uh, it's very raw and there's uh, maybe not everything's connecting upstairs, but he's got the arm, basically. And so... Uh, yeah, basically what we've been able to see of Jordan Love throughout uh, his few stints that he's been able to put together, it's not been overly impressive, uh, to my eyes at least, and so I haven't really changed my priors on Jordan Love either, and my priors were that he's probably just never going to be that guy. Um, maybe he gets a chance to start, and then he's definitely worth a second, um, but honestly, I, I kind of feel like that's a ceiling, so... Um, I'm not super interested, definitely not in acquiring Jordan Love. I'm kind of looking for the next window to sell out of Jordan Love, to be honest. Yeah, I uh, completely agree. If I have Jordan Love, I'm probably holding this guy rather than selling him for that fringe second, third range. Uh, just on the off chance, if there is news on Aaron Rodgers, somebody's going to be excited and I can get a pick, potentially 201 to 205. And in this class, I think you might be able to find a gem Usually I'd be staying at the wide receiver position, but this year I kind of like the running backs in that territory, depending on landing spots. I think if I could move off Jordan Love and pick up kind of that early second purely on speculation, I'm winning at fantasy football. I'm getting a player who might end up cracking my starting up lineup and making a difference. Um, with Jordan Love, it's tough because he's buying Aaron Rodgers, but I think if he really was a talent that the league was respected on, there'd be a little more buzz about people trying to come in and trade for him, even lesser guys. Who weren't taken in the first round, Jimmy Garoppolo uh, is an example that comes to mind in recent history, kind of forced their way out between year three and four because there were teams that saw little glimpses and were really excited to see what they could get out of Jimmy Garoppolo. And Jordan Love's come in and played a couple games of football. It's like we haven't seen anything from him. Uh, he looked good in one of his games where he came in, not so great in one or two of the other ones. Uh, so, yeah, with Jordan Love, I'm not going out and buying um, – around this thing out quickly. Zach Wilson, I'm not interested in buying just about any price. I think there's a realistic chance this guy might not be long for the league, if not kind of slid into a second, third role. I don't know where he can recover unless he really turns things around. Could happen. Don't count it out. Um, but I'm not interested in coming in and playing that game with him. I'm going to ask you one yes or no question before we outro this thing, Nate. Will this quarterback sign and start somewhere in 2023, Jacoby Brissett? Um, it's a tough one. I think he deserves to, uh, based on what he did in Cleveland this year. I definitely think that uh, he's shown that he's up for the opportunity and maybe in a better situation, he could have actually really been um, quite a solid option for fantasy even. Um, but I'm not convinced that the NFL has ever or will ever view him in that way. And so for that reason, if I had to bet on it, I'd say he won't start anywhere next year. Okay, there you go. It rounds it out. All right, guys, anyone who stuck with us, thank you so much for watching. If you can smash the like button, subscribe, stick with us for it next time. Also, you can hop on our Discord. It is in the description. You can find all things JWB at JWB underscore FF on Twitter. I am Scour, your host. As always, again, I was with Nate at NathanGN. If you don't follow Nate, please do. Uh, if you have any interest in hockey, please go follow Nate's stuff. I think that's where he is one of the biggest names in the uh, fantasy space. 
Uh, I'm not just saying that he, you know, he works with, with Yahoo. He's putting out great articles every single week. He has a discord that is absolutely popping. It's absolute genius. We'll throw that in the description as well. Uh, and we'll catch you guys next time.